You make that sound like it's an easy question. Like, this is the starter question, but it's actually very hard. So that's a good question. I think uh, free will is... Free will is... Free will, I think, is... Uh... What free will is is actually a pretty complicated question. So what is free will? Hello, this is Free Will Matters. My name is Santiago Amaya, and I'm an associate professor in philosophy at Universidad de los Andes in Bogota. I am very happy to host this podcast. The problem of free will has been at the center of many discussions in Western philosophy for the last 20 centuries. But in recent years, the problem has reappeared in a fresh form. There are new and exciting developments in the field that make this a fascinating topic of conversation. For this podcast, we have invited various philosophers who work on free will. Philosophy might be a daunting thing, but with their help, we will get to know better the what, the how, and the why of free will. Welcome. I'm very happy to have as our guest today, Kevin Timp. Kevin is the William H. Jalema Chair in Christian Philosophy at Calvin College. He works in many topics, including metaphysics of free will, the philosophy of disability, and philosophical theology. Kevin is the editor of the Routledge Companion to Free Will and the author of a monograph entitled Disability and Inclusive Community. Hello, Kevin. I want to begin our conversation today by asking you about the relationship between the problem of free will and another big problem within Christian philosophy, what philosophers have called the problem of evil. Can you explain this problem to us, and can you tell us how it connects with the problem of free will? The problem of free will is closely connected to how a lot of people think about the problem of evil. Most generally, the problem of evil is the question about why God, if God were to exist and is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving, would allow there to be evil. And one of the leading question, one of the leading answers to that question points to the value of free will, particularly as libertarians or incompatibilists have understood it. If we have free will and our having it is not compatible with God determining what we do with it, then if we misuse that free will, it's going to explain at least some of the evil that exists in the world. I don't think, though, that pointing to libertarian free will solves all the problems of evil, because there are other versions of the problem that don't seem to be quite as closely connected to free will. Problems about the suffering caused by earthquakes or diseases like malaria or various things like that. In addition to being a Christian philosopher, You're also known for your libertarian position on the free will debate. I want to ask you about the relation between those two things. To what extent one's religious view makes it more likely that one finds some view more persuasive than others? Is, for example, skepticism about free will compatible with a Christian view of the world? There's certainly a strong correlation between how people think about free will and their religious beliefs. There's been a number of studies that find, for instance, that religiously inclined philosophers are significantly more likely to be libertarians than our naturalistic philosophers. One reason for that connects to the problem of evil and particularly how we think about religious doctrines like hell and heaven and freedom. 
whether or not you could be, say, a free will skeptic and still have a Christian faith depends a lot on sort of what all we pack into what it means to have a Christian faith. There are, I know, Christian philosophers who self-identify as free will skeptics. They just don't think that, for instance, hell is retributive or that any people will end up there. And so you've got to try to find a, an equilibrium between your philosophical beliefs and your religious beliefs. But I think there's a number of different places where you could land and still be internally consistent. I want to ask you a little bit more about this relationship between free will and Christian doctrine. As we've seen, the problem of free will can be raised independently of one's religious views. But some religious claims, say the existence of heaven and hell, would seem to depend on us having some kind of freedom. So here's a question. Does the Christian doctrine of hell make sense if there is no freedom? I don't think that the Christian doctrine of hell makes a whole lot of sense without belief in free will, so long as you've got two assumptions working there. I think that free will is the control condition on moral responsibility. And also the second assumption is if you think that hell is retributive in nature. So if people don't have free will, but free will is necessary for holding them morally responsible for a long or perhaps infinite period of time, then it, you, you lose the justification for hell understood as retributive in that kind of way. There are some philosophers who think that the purpose of hell is formative or purgative, and you could have that sort of view w without having the existence of free will. Dirk Pareboom is an example of a philosopher who has that sort of view. And there are some philosophers even who are libertarians that think that given the kind of suffering that hell is traditionally thought to have, then at some point God would just sort of override your freedom to make you into the sort of person who no longer deserved to be in hell. And Thomas Talbot's an example of a philosopher who has that sort of view. Let me ask you a related question. As a libertarian, you obviously believe that freedom requires the ability to do otherwise. Do you think that people who go to heaven retain that ability? That is to say, do you think that people in heaven could do wrong? I do think it's possible that we retain free will, including the ability to do otherwise sometimes in heaven. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Tim Paul, and I have written a number of papers where we try to show how a libertarian conception of free will is compatible with the traditional Christian doctrine of heaven. We think that there are certain kinds of actions that you'll no longer be able to perform given character formation. One of the examples is we might not be able to drop kick the apostles, but we might have a choice between singing in the heavenly choir or playing the harp or going on a nice heavenly stroll. And so even if our free will is the kind of thing that can't be determined by God or factors outside of us, character formation, I think, puts a lot of constraints on those kinds of uh, activities that or those kind of choices that we could do and would no longer be able to do given our character. Kevin, suppose you became convinced that libertarianism was for one reason or another false. What would be the most appealing fallback position for you? Were I to become convinced that libertarianism is false, I think I would have a view that's very similar to Manuel Vargas's. There's a lot in his book, Building Better Beings, that I think is very attractive to me. Vargas is a kind of compatibilist who thinks that we do have to give up a lot of our 
the things that libertarians want. Uh, there are certain intuitions we have to give up. There are certain ways of thinking about desserts that we need to give up. But he's got this view that allows us to revise the kinds of beliefs we have about the kinds of agents that we are. So what I appreciate about Manuel's work is that he admits that if libertarianism ends up being false, there's a fair bit that we have to give up, that we have to change or revise about our views. And whenever I read Manuel's work, I find myself very attracted to it, despite not being convinced yet by it that libertarianism is false. This is a question we've been asking to all of our guests. There are lots of things happening in the free will debate. In your opinion, what are the most exciting recent things happening in the field? There have been a lot of really exciting developments in the field on free will. There's been great discussions about the role of luck that have been going on the last few years. People are looking at how issues about free will and issues in epistemology parallel each other in really interesting ways. And I've been really pleased with the way that some of the philosophers working on free will have been paying more attention to the empirical work that psychologists, neuroscientists, and other scientists have been doing. I think that what we think about free will should be in formed by uh, those sorts of developments. And it's good, in my view, to see philosophers taking that kind of data seriously. Okay, Kevin, so a related question. What do you think is the most important and outstanding question that needs to be answered at this point in the debate? It's not easy to say what the most important or outstanding question that we need to be thinking about is, in part because if we were aware of what the question is, some of us would be off working on it. One of the great things about being uh, philosophers, when something catches our attention, we pursue it and we go look into it. Um, I've been working on a series of papers looking at how different sorts of disabilities affect different aspects of human agency. And I think that's a very important and promising question to think about. There's also some philosophers that are doing really interesting work or beginning really interesting work on animal agency that I think is going to be relevant as well. Kevin, let me get back to something you mentioned before. And I promise this is my last question. You're a well-known and very well-published philosopher of free will. But you're also a very active disability advocate. And I want to ask you about that too. Do you see a connection between your work in philosophy and your advocacy work? Does your work in any of these areas inform how you think about the other area? My philosophical training actually played a strong role in me becoming a disability advocate. We had a very bad experience with our son and the kind of education he was getting. And there wasn't a whole lot we knew what to do other than to download various laws governing education and to read them and to figure out how to argue with the school district about how to make things better. So the ability to read complicated texts, to make arguments, both in writing and in person, played a very key role in us beginning the kind of disability advocacy. And I found that the philosophical training I had was actually really effective in bringing about changes for our son and then after for him, for other students as well. I've actually started to write more and more on how disability relates both to some of my interest on agency, but also to some of the structural dynamics that are at work in disability. I have a recent paper 
that basically came out of my work as a disability advocate into how the power dynamics of some of the meetings that we would have with school districts would go. And so the longer I've been doing that, the more there has been this close connection between my work on agency and the kind of advocacy work that we've been doing. Free Will Matters is part of the LATAM Free Will Agency and Responsibility Project. It is produced by Cero 70 thanks to a generous grant of the John Templeton Foundation and with the support of Universidad de los Andes and the University of California in San Diego. For more information, visit us at freewill.uniandes.edu.co. That is freewill.uniandes.edu.co.